Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. We are so excited to share with you our new puberty podcast music. This music was written by a teenager named Jonah who we think is immensely talented. We can't wait for you to hear it. We don't want to just pay lip service to listening to our teenagers and admiring and appreciating who they are and what their talents are. We want to include them in the podcast. And therefore, this new music is a great way to show how amazing teenagers can be and how worthwhile it is to include them in all of the work we do. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. So many of you have joined us for the hygiene episode where we covered all sorts of topics related to hygiene and puberty, skin, body odor, foot odor, greasy hair, all sorts of ways that teens do or don't take care of their bodies. Flossing. Sorry, I forgot Cara's favorite topic, flossing. You must take the garbage out. It might be because I never flossed my teeth when I was a teenager. Cara, did you floss your teeth when you were a teenager? No, I was terrible at it. Really? I feel like you would have been that one kid who flossed their teeth. No, I I got like a D in flossing. (laughs) You got a D. I got an F minus. Anyways, we're going to do a deep dive into skin. We're going to go down those pores into those flask-shaped glands. What are they, Cara? Don't even get ahead of yourself, Vanessa, because I'm about to ask you the same question. You're going to start with describing what is in our skin. The most important question is, why does skin become such a major issue in puberty for tweens and teens and essentially going forward into adulthood? What is going on that makes it so complicated and difficult? I think the first answer is that skin is the biggest organ on the body. Right. I mean, so everything seems to go haywire in puberty, but right. Isn't the biggest organ going to go the most haywire? That's one answer. I actually knew that skin was the biggest organ in the body. You know a lot. 
I do. Well, that was like a, that was like a riddle when you were, that was like the gotcha question when you were a kid, you'd be like, Hey, in third grade, what's the biggest organ in the body? And everyone would be like the brain. And you say, no, 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 it's the skin. Okay. So the skin is the biggest organ in the body. And it's more complicated than that. Well, it is more complicated than that because it's super sensitive to all sorts of variables that are shifting during puberty, namely the hormones that are in charge of sexual reproductive organ maturation or, you know, that the, that path from not being able to reproduce to potentially being able to reproduce, that's the whole path of puberty. We talk about it every week and the hormones that are responsible for that whole transformation, they often impact the skin. But another thing that we talk about all the time is that the real hormones that have the most impact on the skin are the cousins, the distant relatives of those hormones. They are not testosterone or estrogen, the hormones that star in puberty. They're like the B cast. They are the adrenal androgens. The best supporting actors and actresses. Yes. Yes, DHEA wins best supporting <laughs> actor because they are what are really, really telling your skin to go a little bit haywire. So we're going to talk about it. So Cara, we know skin is the largest organ in the body. Thank you very much. Why is it the most complicated or one of the most complicated aspects to puberty? You know, there's all sorts of things going on. It creates all sorts of emotional issues for people and physical issues and all different decisions about what they do or don't do with their skin. But like, what's the root cause in terms of the physiology as to why it's so complicated during puberty? Well, it's sensitive to all of the hormones that are surging through the tween and teen body during puberty. So it's sensitive to estrogen and testosterone, the main actors that we talk about. Those are the two driving All the time. Hormones. We talk about them all the time. <laughs> we do. I, we really do. We, we, we beat that today. I sh- we should have a t-shirt. One of us should have estrogen and one of us should have testosterone and then we'll switch the next week. Yeah. It just depends on what kind of day it is. It is. Who's the estrogen and who's the testosterone? But (laughs) there are all these other hormones that float around the body right around the same time as puberty. And they too are actors at the level of the skin. And the truth is that these same hormones impact a lot of organs in your body. But since you're not wearing those organs on the outside, you don't really see the impact, but you wear your skin, right? And so you see the impact. And Vanessa, you know a lot about this. And so the best place for us to start I think, is for you to describe what a pore is, and then we'll talk about what the hormones do to that pore, P-O-R-E, pore. So tell us, Vanessa. Cara Natterson for the spelling bee win. Um, So based on the lesson you gave us in the hygiene episode, the pore is shaped like a chemistry flask where it's narrow at the top, long and narrow at the top, and then like a kind of a bulb shape at the bottom. And it's also where hair grows out of. Is that right? Did I just, yes, great. Did a great job. Thank you. Let's talk about the chemistry and the biology at the level of the pore. So you've got a skin cell, okay? And the skin cell has in it this divot, 
that you beautifully described is looking like a chemistry flask or a vase for a single bud. So Um, that's that's actually what I picture, but I was so embarrassed to say, or like a vase that I have in my cabinet because, you know, this is a a podcast based in science. Yes. Okay. But that is perfect. And so, and you've got this hair coming out of it. And do you remember what else is attached to the pore and sort of feeding into that base of the pore? The sebaceous gland. Very nice. So it's a sebaceous gland. It's a gland that secretes oil. And the sebaceous gland is very sensitive to all of these different hormones that we were talking about, particularly the adrenal androgens, which are hormones that are made in the adrenal glands. And as a little reminder, the adrenal glands sit on top of your kidneys. They look like little caps on top of your kidneys and like Santa's hats. And they have different layers. And one layer of the adrenal gland puts out these adrenal androgens. Another layer of your adrenal glands puts out cortisol, right? Your fight or flight. Mm, Fight or flight. Right. So this is, that's the magic that's happening on top of your kidneys. But the sebaceous gland in the pore is super sensitive. And what happens is that as the pore is making more oil because that sebaceous gland is pumping out extra oil when some of these hormones are around, the pore gets full of oil. And now, Vanessa, I'm going to send you a picture. I want you to look at your text because we're on Zoom today. I'm looking. I want you to take a peek and (laughs) I want you to describe. (laughs) Do you like this graphic I just sent you? Yes, I do. I feel like there's a whole cartoon opportunity here. I cannot wait for you to describe each of these different types of zits to our audiences. And you're going to go from left to right on our slide. And I promise we will post this along with our episode. But on the far left is a healthy pore. And as you will see, there is a big old hair coming out and two small sebaceous glands that are squirting oil into the pore and everything looks hunky-dory and the hair is able to make it out the surface of the skin. Do you see that? Yes. It looks like a Hershey kiss with a really, really long, tall top to it. It does. That's exactly what it looks like. So why don't you describe, we're going to go one to the right. There are five different drawings of pores here. Um, Drawing number two is labeled whitehead. You want to tell us about the whitehead? Yeah. I mean, that's the one where I would generally move in on my children and ask them if they wanted me to pop it. It's kind of like an ice cream cone with like just a dash of sprinkles. The bacteria is the dash of sprinkles and it's kind of a vanilla ice cream cone dome shape. And the sebaceous glands on either side kind of look like little arms, like they're kind of the pores are treading water under the skin. So that one looks like pretty unintimidating and fairly standard. And I would do good work on that one. You would do good work. So what a whitehead is, is it's just a collection of pus, white blood cells. That's why it looks white. Okay. And that collection, you're you're just laughing. One of my kids pronounces pus, puss. And I'm like, you make it sound even grosser. Like, why are you it's, calling it puss? Or it's very, puss. Like or very it's European. It's very, very European. So the whitehead, 
what's happened is the hair is stuck kind of at the bottom of the follicle. Some hairs come out, but it's stuck at the bottom of the pore, the follicle. And then there are these sebaceous glands on either side. And then above where the hair would normally be poking out through the skin, there's this, what you described beautifully, it's like a, it looks like a scoop of ice cream that is filling the top of that pore where the narrow neck was, has been replaced by a big bulbous white thing of mass. And inside that white mass are a bunch of bacteria. And what this diagram is supposed to show you is that a whitehead is basically the result of bacteria getting into a pore, then your body's immune system coming in and fighting that bacteria. So bringing in all the white blood cells to fight the bacteria. And oh, by the way, the skin on top of the pore, instead of being nice and open and letting the hair out, has now sealed itself. The skin, and sometimes it seals itself because it's trying to contain the situation. And sometimes it seals itself because you've got a dead skin cell on there and the dead skin cell does not get the heck out of the way. And so it plugs the top of the pore and there's no outlet for this whitehead. And so what you see is the top of this ice cream cone is bulging up from underneath. <laughs> and that, Vanessa, is what you're dying to pop. Like I can see, you want to pop the diagram. Right? I may or may not have tried to pop a white hat on one of my children right before we started recording this. You may or may not. You um, may or may not watch Dr. Pimple Popper online. I'm wondering at what point our listeners will get nauseous <laughs> as I well, describe <laughs> Well, that is true. So we're going to move on so we don't nauseate okay. anyone. Because the distinction between a white hat and a black head is really important. And I'm not going to make you distinguish. I'm going to help people. But I'm going to have you describe what's the one difference you see between the white head and the black head in this drawing. So in the drawing, the black head looks like a kid-sized scoop of chocolate therapy ice cream which is, you know, yes. very dark chocolate and yes. it's smaller than the white head and it yes, doesn't it seem to have a skin layer on top of it and it's not right. as wide or as big as the white wow. head. That was a very thorough answer with five parts. Thank okay. you. <laughs> you get an A in biology. So it is I've true just that the black my head, gift. I found my you talent found, in life. You found your calling. <laughs> what do so you the, do for the, a living? Oh, I describe various kinds. I describe medical drawings. So the blackhead does, it has some bacteria in there and you can see on the schematic, yes. there's some bacteria in there, but it doesn't have all the They pus. look like toasted coconut. <laughs> they do. They do. They look a little like sprinkles that that, yeah, that have gone wrong. So, um, and, and the reason that it's smaller is that the skin cap is gone. There's nothing holding it in. And anyone who has explored whiteheads versus blackheads on skin will say, oh yeah, yeah, I've noticed that. Like the whitehead seems to have a covering and then the blackhead does not. It almost seems, the blackhead almost seems like a black hole sometimes. Yeah. And what's in there, by the way, is not dirt, Okay. Um, a lot of people assume that blackheads are filled with dirt. They are not. They have pigment in them. Okay. Huh. So yeah, a good little note. Um, by the way, as we get into acne over the next several minutes, please don't confuse acne with poor hygiene. Poor hygiene makes acne worse, but acne itself is not just the result of dirt on your face and poor hygiene. Hey, it's Cara. 
We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra. And it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their Umbra's. It's why we say that the Umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your Umbra, plus lots of other puberty info, at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. Hey, it's Vanessa. I started a company called Dynamo Girl, and one of the coolest parts of my work is running our Dynamo Puberty Workshops for hundreds of families across the country. We teach the anatomy and physiology involved in puberty because so many adults never learned it and kids have so many questions about it. In our workshops, we also talk about the feelings involved in puberty. For kids, it's often tricky stuff around friendships and body image and social media and just being in our families. And for adults, it's the constant struggle of wanting to support our kids in the most loving ways we can, even when it feels like they just want us to be quiet. This December, we'll be running two virtual Dynamo workshops that will get to all those questions and more. On December 4th, join me and my Dynamo colleagues to learn about male puberty. And on December 11th, join us to learn about female puberty. People of all genders are welcome to attend all workshops. You can go to www.dynamogirl.com to learn more and register for our workshops or check out the show notes for links to register. We hope to see you there. After we've been Zooming all day, we both hit the same wall. We forgot about dealing with dinner. But given what we do for a living, we know the importance of feeding ourselves and our families well. And we want it to be yummy. So we're psyched to have found Factor. Factors chef-created, ready-to-eat meals show up at our front doors. With over 35 different options a week to choose from, Cara goes vegan and veggie while I opt for a whole variety since I have so many kids. Two-Minute Prep gets us restaurant-quality full meals, snacks, and smoothies. And Factor is less expensive than takeout. And because flexibility is key, you can choose anywhere from 6 to 18 meals per week and you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor meals require no prepping, no cooking, and no cleanup. Our kids are thrilled by the lack of dishes. 
So get started today and have a week of meals ready to go, taking the dinner prep pressure off. Head to factormeals.com slash puberty50. Use the code puberty50 to get 50% off. That's code puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50. We know it's really tough when a kid's skin is breaking out for the first time or the hundredth time. But now there's an effective product that can help. It's called Phyla, and it's clinically proven to fix acne by targeting the bad bacteria on the skin without eliminating all the good bacteria. This rebalances the skin's microbiome, treating existing breakouts and preventing new ones. Phyla's active ingredient is a probiotic isolated from the skin of healthy, acne-free individuals. This means Phyla can stop acne before it starts by eliminating bacteria in the pores without irritating or drying skin. And Phyla is safe for kids of all ages. Dermatologists recommend this easy three-step system. Just cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. My own kids actually use this product. They love it because it works so well. Get 25% off your first order of Phyla with the code PUBERTY. Go to phylabiotics.com and type in the code PUBERTY at checkout. Link is in the show notes to get started. Hi, I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. We're the co-hosts of a podcast called A Thing or Two. It comes out every Monday and the basic premise is this. We share all the stuff we think more people should know about. So that's apps, recipes, books, the nationwide haagen vanilla bean shortage that nobody else was talking about. Our no one. No one. <laughs> our preferred vacuum brands, of which we have multiples, and critical explorations of our unique approaches to paper towel usage. Listen, we think you're going to like it. A lot of people do. And who's to say you'll be any different? Listen and subscribe wherever it is you listen and subscribe to podcasts. So now we're going to go to the next drawing in our schematic which is called a papule. And this is now we're getting into, if you were a dermatologist, these were terms you would use, but the last two drawings, one is a papule and one is a pustule. And do you want to describe what a papule looks like? And yeah. I'm going to point you to that. Um, you'll see a descriptor word that goes to both papule and pustule. And I'm just going to give you a little hint, Vanessa, that that's the word you probably want to use in your answer. Thank you for that guidance. Um, <laughs> so this is the point where we start to see inflammation. There you go. There we go. Um, the papule has like an egg-shaped pus. It's not an ice cream cone anymore. And it looks like the bacteria is starting to escape from, it's not just sprinkles. The sprinkles are falling off the ice cream cone and are hitting <laughs> the deck around the skin. <laughs> They are. They're like the lunatics that are escaping the asylum. Uh, that is ex so. It's a whitehead gone wild, right? Whitehead and gone wild. It's going to be in a wet t-shirt contest pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> and what you're seeing, and the actual the papule is supposed to be a little bit more contained. It's basically trying to show you that there are these antibodies from the body's immune system that are coming to attack from oh, the other side. So, okay. Right, Enemy so invasion. Enemy the body's invasion. dealing with an enemy invasion. So okay. we had local immunity in the whitehead with pus coming in going, I can deal with this bacteria. But now in a papule, it's a much bigger situation. And now you're getting 
all these antibodies coming in from all over the body. And what that's doing is that's really aggravating the situation under the skin. And so if you actually look at the layer of skin on top, do you see Mm -hmm. how it's starting to turn red. red? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen that on your face? Oh, maybe a thousand times or so. Me too. Yes. Yeah. So that's what's happening there. And people always think that whiteheads pop out and that's sort of the biggest relief. But actually you can see by this drawing that as whiteheads get bigger and bigger and have more and more of the inflammatory process trying to defeat them, actually the most likely way that they will pop is underneath the skin. Mm. Very little of the whitehead is on top of the skin. Most of the whitehead is underneath the skin. And so then you see the pustule and the pustule has, it's like a trash bag has been filled with too much trash and you lift it up and it, all the trash comes out the bottom. Now you can see that the bacteria, there's been a little explosion in Mm -hmm. one little part underneath the skin surface and you've got the bacteria escaping and you've got the antibodies going crazy and you've got redness and inflammation around the entire pore, not just at the top at the surface, but down below. And that's when you see on your skin, that sort of really red, really aggravated situation that seems sort of super deep and this thing is never going to go away. That's Mm -hmm. when it's at pustule. Okay. that a helpful schematic? I think it's very helpful. I think it begs the question. Let's start with the, I don't know, should we start with the worst case scenario um, and work our way backwards? Or should we go back to our friend, the whitehead and ask, what do we do? What's okay to do? What's safe? What's healthy? Yeah. Let's start with the easiest because whiteheads and blackheads I think something like 95% of all tweens and teens report having whiteheads and blackheads. And I'm convinced the other 5% just aren't reporting. I, mean, I didn't I really have, think- I, I had almost no zits when I was a kid. Now it's different as a young adult and a middle-aged adult. And, and it is true that some people are unscathed, but almost none and none are different answers. And I, I'd say very close to 100% have something. And of course, they all think it's the the biggest deal until they see someone else who has something more. And I think there's there's a lot of space for empathy here with acne because as you said at the top, we wear this on our skin and this is a really big deal. Having acne is a really big deal. And we don't just have acne as humans. We have acne on our face, on our chest, on our back, back knee, places that are highly visible. And so the emotion- Except our butts. There's oh, butt and knee. butt knee. Yeah. Buttony is a real thing. Yeah. Yes. And Hopefully you're not. In no one's seeing situations. that. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one, two, three, jinx. So, you know, what do we do? So the very first thing you want to do, if you have a child in your home or in your life who is struggling with skin, there are some things to avoid. One is judgment, which is really, really hard because judgment doesn't always sound like you did something wrong to make your skin look bad. That's not the kind of judgment I'm talking about. But judgment can sound like, oh, I've noticed that your skin is breaking out. Do you want help with that? That feels really kind to me, but to a tween or teen, that may sound very judgmental because you're pointing out something that is already not comfortable for them. Mm. And so parents are in a 
really sticky situation with their kids, even at the beginning when there are just a few whiteheads or a few blackheads. And they often feel that they can't say anything without getting real frustration from their right, kids. Right. And then as things escalate for a lot of kids, parents feel like, oh, now I've lost my opportunity entirely. Right. So figure out the language that works for you and your kid, but some tips. So number one, getting your kid into a really good facial cleansing routine helps. It just helps. And it helps because when you realize that one of the reasons why pus and, and bacteria can back up inside of pores is connected to the fact that you have dead skin cells that are trying to shed, but they don't necessarily shed themselves off your skin. If you wash with a gentle cleanser or a very plain soap twice a day, you are literally physically kicking those barriers off the skin. Mm -hmm. And you do not want to encourage your kid to scrub their face. Okay. And you don't want to overwash. More than twice a day can really dry out skin. So my best advice is whenever you feel ready, this could be with a five-year-old for all I care. It it doesn't have to correlate with puberty, but whenever you feel ready with a kid, you know, getting into a really good face washing routine, like you brush your teeth and you wash your face twice a day and you floss once. That's the routine, right? And don't assume that your kid knows, like you can't just put the face wash on their counter and assume they're going to know what to do, how often to do it, why it's important. You kind of have to like, do the nuts and bolts. I'm always surprised with kids. I don't know why I'm surprised, but I'm still always surprised that they're like, oh, well, I didn't know that. I have to do it like every day. Right. Oh, I should use warm water, not cold water, right? Like there's stuff that's obvious to us as adults. And if you notice your kids are like, skin is looking oilier, or they are breaking out. You just go and buy them a gentle cleanser and you show them how to wash their face and you explain how often to do it. Or let them watch a video of someone who they respect and admire washing their face because that counts for a lot more sometimes than Right, what unless you have they're to trying say. to sell them something, in which case just, you know. Well, and, and let's go down that lane for a second. So people are trying to sell you lots of stuff, you and me and our kids. And it's very confusing and overwhelming what kind of cleanser you should use. So- for that, my best advice is number one, use the gentlest, cleanest product you can find. No colors, no perfumes. But it's hard when you read the label. You know, some of these ingredients have five and six and seven syllables, and it feels that feels very chemical to them, and they don't want that. So go talk to your healthcare provider. If you have a dermatologist, talk to your dermatologist, pick a cleanser, a product or two that you can alternate between because some people's skin likes being on a rotation, doesn't want the same thing all the time. A simple bar soap works really well for certain skin types. There's charcoal bar soap, which works really well for certain skin types. But this is one where you want to get some advice based upon what the skin is like. Is it oily skin? Is it dry skin? Is it sensitive skin? Is it skin that gets eczema? Is it skin? You know, get get a little advice. And pediatricians in particular, they do that all the time. They can answer that question beautifully and they're not you. So they can give that advice without being parent. And sometimes that advice is better received. 
I'm dying to ask, are, are we allowed to pop the whiteheads? Are we like messing up our kids' skin and turning yeah. them into um, pustule bearers by doing so, that? Yeah. The answer about popping kids' pimples is actually the same as popping your own pimples, mm. which is you shouldn't do it in either case. Mm. The reason why is that unless it's a blackhead, which doesn't have a cover containing the situation, whiteheads, papules, pustules, they're all insulated from what's going on in the outside world. We all have bacteria that live in our skin. That bacteria coexists with us. And for the most part, we're fine. But as soon as we pop something, we've done two things. The first is we've created a hole into which the bacteria that live on top of our skin can climb and grow and multiply. That's not great. Mm -mm. The second thing we've done is we've popped and remember that at the base of the pore, which you cannot see on the surface, but that's causing all that irritation and inflammation. You've now essentially popped the garbage bag and you've created a much bigger inflammatory situation. You ever notice that when you pop a whitehead, the whitehead's gone, but the whole area gets redder and it gets yeah. redder and it gets redder for 24 hours, 36 hours, 40, 48 hours. That's because you have essentially called in the inflammatory troops. So keeping hands off of zits is a really important mantra. It's no matter so how badly. It's it so is hard. hard. And there are people who can pop pimples and do pop pimples, dermatologists, some facialists, people who do it with sterile technique and they're being very careful and they're making sure not to introduce other bacteria, but keep try, try to keep your hands <laughs> off your skin. All right. That's going to be my new year's resolution. Don't no, pop my kids' pimples. Don't, don't pop my own pop, pimples. Don't do it, Vanessa. But I do want to talk about what to do when your skin is getting increasingly bad. Yeah. Um, so we're let's move away from the kind of simpler, from the ice cream cones towards the garbage bags. The hot mess. So yeah. The hot mess. So we see on our kids' skin that it's getting worse and worse, irritated, yeah. red. What are the steps that we should go through when that happens? Yes. Yeah, so... Remember how I told you five minutes ago that you should not ask your kid in a way that has any judgment. Yeah. Hey, do you want to do something about your skin? Well, once you've crossed into this arena, if you haven't started the conversation, it's a really hard conversation to start. So this is a really good example of parenting through puberty or adulting through puberty where you almost can't get it right and it's okay. You can take the do-over. You can ask your kid for forgiveness, explain that you... You just were sensitive to what was happening on your own skin when you were that age. And that's why you're asking and talking about it. But it gets increasingly hard as the pimples get increasingly numerous. Mm. And so there's a way to have this conversation with tremendous empathy, but it looks and sounds different for every kid in every family. There's not a perfect way to have it. There are really great treatments that are available both over the counter and by prescription. And I just want to walk you through the basics of how okay. pimples are managed. Because if you were to take a child who has one or two pimples to a dermatologist, the advice you would get is cleanser twice a day, gentle cleanser, no perfumes, no colors, small little circles, you know, doing the whole gentle massage all over the face. And then you rinse with warm water, either you splash warm water and then wipe with a washcloth 
that's damp. So you're wiping all those dead skin cells away. Or some people like to wet a clean washcloth and wipe their cleanser off with a clean washcloth. That is the general way you do it. In the morning, put moisturizer that has SPF in it on the skin. Very important for prevention of skin cancers, but also prevention of wrinkles. Your kids will really thank you when they're older. And at night, you moisturize with a non-SPF moisturizer. Little side note about moisturizing. Kids who are beginning to have pimples really get nervous about using moisturizer because they think I'm oily. I can't use moisturizer or I will get more oily. But it's really important to look at the picture of a pore and realize that the sebaceous gland is responding not just to hormones, but also to its local environment. And if its local environment is really dry, the sebaceous gland is going to try to put more oil on the surface to moisturize it. And so if you use a moisturizer after a cleanser, you cleanse your face, you wash it off with water, you pat it dry. What happens within 30 to 60 seconds, your skin starts to feel dry and parched. That sebaceous gland is going to sense that. So what you want to do is you want to put moisturizer on because if the surface is dry, the sebaceous gland is going to be really sensitive to the fact that the surface is dry and you want to tell the sebaceous gland to chill out. So you put a thin layer of moisturizer on and that helps your sebaceous gland stay calm and not be overproductive. You don't want to squirt a ton of oil into a pore because that increases the risk of plugging and a whitehead and a papule and a pustule. And what if that stuff's not working, right? What if they're they're cleansing and they're doing that yeah. and it's just it's just not working? What what happens next? Who do we go to? What are they going to tell us? So step two is what I like to refer to as guess and check. My least favorite math strategy in the world. Vanessa's making a face, but when my kids were in third or fourth or fifth grade, so annoying. Right, there was this strategy in math, and it was like this is a word problem. And the only way to get to the answer is to guess and check. Drove me bananas. But it turns out that that's basically like how... a life philosophy. Like we all have to just <laughs> accept that life is all about guess and check, but it would be so yeah. nice if it wasn't about guess right. and check. And we like to pretend that it's not. So, but dermatology at this stage, when you're past level one, entering level two is a full guess and check situation. So whether you're at your pediatrician, or you go to a dermatologist, or you take matters into your own hand, the approach is the same, which is there are two classes of treatments that you can use in addition to cleansing and moisturizing. So this is now a next step that you're adding in. So one is to use benzoyl peroxide or some something that has benzoyl peroxide in it. Benzoyl peroxide is, it's like an antibiotic in the sense that it's antibacterial bacteria that are exposed to benzoyl peroxide do not do very well. And so you're basically lowering the load of these bacteria that are multiplying in a whitehead or in a papular pustule just by using benzoyl peroxide on the surface. The other thing that benzoyl peroxide does beautifully is it does slow down the secretion of oil from that sebaceous gland. And it sort of in this cascade of effects, it allows for dead skin cells to clear a little bit more easily. So some pediatricians and dermatologists will say, start with benzoyl peroxide. 
and add it into your daily routine. Others will say, start with a retinol. So a retinol is a different group of, of topical treatments. And what retinols do is they tell your skin cells to slow down their turnover. So if skin cells are turning over less frequently, you're going to have fewer dead ones that are sloughing off and blocking the tops of pores and you're going to have less skin congestion. So it slows down the production. And the other thing that a retinol does really effectively is it stops the inflammation. So if you get to the papule or pustule stage, the redness and the local swelling won't be as bad. So half will say start with benzoyl peroxide. Half will say start with retinol. If that doesn't work after two to four weeks, no change, then they'll say swap. And I know this sounds crazy because you're probably thinking, why don't they just start you at level three, which I'm going to say is combine them, Mm -hmm. right? So level one is just cleanser with your moisturizer. Level two is add either benzoyl peroxide or retinol. And level three is do both. And the reason is like everything in life, less is more. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anyone who wants to throw more topicals on their kid if they don't need to. I also don't think there's a kid in this world that actually is dying to add something else to their daily face washing routine. No, and I mean, so, they can barely brush their teeth. So to add even more stuff is a lot to expect. That's right. So that's why if you compare notes with your friend who lives up the street and you say, my kid was put on benzoyl peroxide and they say, well, my kid was put on retinol. Someone must be wrong. The answer is no. It's just two different approaches and you never know who's going to respond to one and who's going to respond to the other. And there are all these other variables that factor in. In addition to retinols and benzoyl peroxide, some kids are given antibiotics to treat their acne. The antibiotics might be topical in the form of a cream or an ointment that's put on the skin, or they might be oral. You take them as a pill once a day by mouth. And there's some controversy or conversation around should you or shouldn't you use antibiotics with acne? We're not going to go down that rabbit hole in this podcast, but I do want to say that if you understand the origin of a zit, And particularly that the vast, vast, vast majority of the time that pimple has inside it bacteria that are growing and multiplying. You can also understand why an antibiotic that would treat that bacteria is beneficial to the treatment of the acne. And so that is why a lot of doctors, pediatricians, dermatologists will recommend a course of antibiotics in conjunction with other acne therapies. And then if none of that works. So now none of that works. And you're at, you've combined them and you have a kid who's got a crop of pimples appearing every single day. And now their self-esteem is really tanking and they don't like how they Mm -hmm. look and they don't like how they feel. And by the way, I'm noticing this a whole lot more in the kids that I see today, as opposed to even 10 years ago, the number of kids who have what I would call refractory acne that doesn't respond to any of these very easy solutions. Benzoyl peroxide and retinols are sold over the counter. They're also sold by prescription, right? Different formulations, uh, proactive 
the famous proactive is just a combination mm-hmm. of one of the, the ingredients, one of the things has benzoyl peroxide in it, one of the things has retinol in it, right? So you could find this in a million different places, but I'm starting to see so much more acne that I would call refractory that just doesn't respond to any of this. And for mm. those kids, then it is absolutely critical as far as I'm concerned to have them in the care of a dermatologist, especially if their self-esteem is starting to tank. Because those are kids who may respond to an oral medication, which is the long conversation with your doctor. Uh, But there's an oral medication called, the common name that we know by is Accutane. That's not the generic name, but that's the most common name that people know by. And it's an oral and you take it, you know, every day and you ramp up your dose and it's, you know, that makes parents a little nervous at times and um, the side effects, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's, there's that path you can go down. And there are also some kids who have a type of acne that we haven't talked about yet called cystic acne. And cystic Mm. acne, you, you see essentially it's like the bottom of that flask filled with water. It's not pussy. It's big, heavy bulbs that end up coming up to the surface and they just look a little red and irritated, but there's not really a white head and there isn't anything to pop. And cystic acne can become scarring and the treatment for cystic acne can look different still. And so you might have parents who say that their physician suggested their kid go on, especially their girls go on a birth control pill for their skin. And the reason why is because the very top we talked about that the skin is so hormone sensitive, it's sensitive to the hormones Mm -hmm. from the adrenal glands, but it's also sensitive, very sensitive to estrogen and testosterone. And sometimes for some types of acne, one of the most effective things you can do is shift the balance of hormones that are coursing through the body. And it's not even really the balance. It's you're just avoiding the surges. You're just keeping it a little more steady state by taking the hormone orally. But that's a conversation. So when you get to the stage Mm. where retinols and benzoyl peroxide are not touching anything, it's really important that you're talking to someone who treats teenagers all the time. So is that a pediatric dermatologist or just a dermatologist who has a lot of experience working with? Yeah. With I'd teens? say the latter. I mean, some pedi- okay. some general pediatricians do this all the time in their practice, especially in areas that are you know, rural or distant from city centers and there just isn't access to a subspecialist. Those generalists become really good at this because this is not a unique problem. But by and large, it's dermatologists and dermatologists have different areas of interest and expertise. And I would choose one that enjoys taking care of kids who have acne and understands them because so much of this, Vanessa, as you and I both know, so much of this is also the emotional piece that goes along with it. At the same time that their skin is erupting, so too are their emotions, right? And so too are some you know, sexual urges or romantic feelings that they've never felt before. And all of this collides when you have a face or a chest or a back full of acne. It's hard. So I have a scenario for you. We had a question from a listener. So we discussed self-esteem tanking and we've had our own experiences with our skin, being unhappy with our skin. makes us feel bad. It makes us feel unattractive. What about the kid who just like doesn't care? 
right? Like what if you've gone through all these steps and your kid has acne and you've taken to the dermatologist and you got the special face wash and you got the oral medication and you know that if they did all that, it would work, but like they're not doing it and they don't seem to care. Is there like a health issue with allowing acne to kind of continue untreated? Or is it like, should it just be up to the The kid? The biggest issue is scarring. And we've all known adults who have scars that when they start talking about it, talk about how it's their untreated acne from when they were younger that scarred them. And it's really hard. We've talked on this podcast about the brain and brain development and long-term consequential thinking. It's hard for kids who are 13, 14, 15, 16 to imagine what their skin is going to look like at 25, 35, or 45. And as a parent or a caretaker of one of these kids, you don't want to be fear-mongering. However, the long-term consequences of having scars on your face because you were a normal kid who just didn't feel like washing your face. And by the way, you probably had more self-esteem than most kids because you didn't care, right? So there's an argument there that right. that's confidence. Although I don't know that that always travels with confidence, but but you know maybe they don't care because the kids feel like outsiders to begin with. And maybe there's something bigger there. But, um, but if it's a kid mm-hmm. who, who truly doesn't care and feels great about themselves, regardless of what their skin looks like, it is really important to have the long-term consequences conversation because there will likely, for for kids who have a ton of acne, there will likely be long-term scarring for absolutely untreated, run rampant, not doing anything acne, especially for kids who pick their face. Those kids, they're very likely to scar. So does that conversation sound something like, Hey, it's your body, it's your choice, but we've taken all these steps and made all this effort to get you what you need in order to help your acne. And I just want to let you know that although it's ultimately your decision that there can be long-term scars from acne, and I I don't want you to turn around in 20 years and say to me, I wish you had told me I would have made a different decision. And so I'm telling you this now, but ultimately you get to decide how you treat your skin. I think that's a great way of framing it. I might make two slight modifications. One is if you know someone who has scars from acne, you might be able to Mm. point to a specific example. It might be an actor or an actress. It might be a family friend. But if you can say, you know, I I just want to point out that so-and-so's skin and -and so-and-so is beautiful, but so-and-so's skin is not smooth and even. And though that is scarring from untreated acne. And I just, I was trying to help you avoid that. But at a certain point, there's only so much I can do. I think that's that's fine um, to add that in. Mm -hmm. The other is I would probably go back to that healthcare provider who's been helping you and let them do one last Hail Mary. Because coming from you, it's going to fall on deaf ears compared to coming from a healthcare provider who can say to that kid, I just want you to know the kids who have come through here who feel the same way you did when we really push them, thanked us in the long run. Or when we didn't push them, say, I wish you had pushed me. That's far more powerful in many ways than just say, oh, 
one or two off in your own home and not having all of those patients to be able to draw from and that type of argument to be able to make. But but you don't want to argue with your kid over this because the last thing you want to do is create more self-esteem issues. Even right. though there are a lot of kids who say, I'm fine with it. I really don't care. When I've gone back and asked them years later, they were not fine with it. They were not. They just said that. I will say that we also, as the adults caring for these kids, need to think about what our relationship to our skin was during these years. Did we Do we take pride in never having had zits? Did we have acne and it was scarring physically and emotionally to us? Did we have acne and we dealt with it and we moved on for it, right? Like I think when we're caring for kids and dealing with their skin, we have to be aware of what our own story is and what's coloring our concern about our kids' That's right. And I think one last point to make is that what we put into and onto our bodies really does matter. So there's this big myth, and we talked about it with Nina Shapiro, the myth of what you eat makes you break out. Uh, If you eat pizza, you'll get zits. That is a myth. That's not true that eating something greasy brings the oil out of your spacious glands. What is true is if you rub your face a lot and stimulate the sebaceous glands, you'll get greasy. If you rub your hands, we laughed about this a lot with Nina, with French fries or oil all over your face, pizza, whatever, you put it directly on your face, you you could end up greasy. A high sugar diet, a high sugar or high processed food diet is an inflammatory diet. And as you begin to think about what's happening at the level of the pore when there are bacteria stuck in there, If you are a teenager who some of your pores are going to get clogged, your sebaceous glands are getting more active, you're shedding some dead skin cells, things are going to get plugged. The last thing you want to do is add to the inflammation by eating an inflammatory diet. And that's what a high sugar, high processed foods diet looks like. So that gives people a little sense of control when they understand the connection there between food and skin. Likewise, they feel a little bit uh, more control when they understand the connection between drinking water and having clear skin. Again, water, it just clears out some of the inflammation. It's like a nice little way of irrigating everything in our body and and diluting out some of these processes that we see, you know, in, in little focal areas. And it makes a big, big difference to drink a lot of water. So they're there are things that we do have some control over that can make a difference. So we're going to wrap this up. I will say we'll do a separate episode around hair removal because it's actually not only complicated like logistically, but it's also complicated generationally and what we do and don't do as adults versus kids and and Gen X and versus Gen Z, all of those things will will come into play. But I think this was super helpful in understanding the science and understanding the steps. And we hope that people will feel a better sense of understanding and clarity and a sense of what to expect as they walk this path with their with their kid. So Cara, my takeaway is that we're not actually probably ever going to have this conversation perfectly with our kids because skin and acne, as empathetic as we can be, we're probably going to 
hurt their feelings or be insensitive or misstep when raising this issue with our kids. And we doesn't mean we don't bring it up. It just means we have to be aware that we might mess it up. And I'm going to build on that and say, it's an ever evolving situation. There are kids who look like they have the best skin in the universe until one day, five years after all of their friends are done with acne, they wake up and they say, it's my turn. Are you kidding? This was going to be my past. This was my bye in puberty. And there are other kids for whom, and I think you're one of those kids, Vanessa, for whom it's never an issue. It was never an issue growing up. Doesn't mean that you didn't have your own puberty struggles oh, in I other had my directions. Own, I had my own stuff. <laughs> right? And so I think this feels, it's a very, we started at the top by saying how universal it is. One pimple is very universal, but many, many, many pimples, uncontrollable acne, acne that requires healthcare providers, acne that is a source of stress in families. That's not universal. And so you're right. We can't get, we're we're never going to get this exactly right. But on the other hand, don't worry because you're not going to get it all wrong either. This is it's an ever-changing landscape and it's the perfect example of why we just say at the end of the day, conversation, 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 keep the lines of communication open with your kid. And as things change, they will circle back and hopefully ask for help. I love that. You're not going to get it all right, but you're not going to get it all wrong. There we go. That should be our <laughs> motto. Yes. I'm going to get like a blanket that says that. Also don't pop your zits. Just that's remember nothing else. So I was going to do that as my takeaway, but I'm like, yeah, I'm still mourning the ability to pop my kids' zits. So we're going to have a funeral for your ability to pop your kids' (laughs) zits. That will be that and my goldfish. Thanks, Cara. Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at the puberty podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye.